Hello everybody and welcome to Sound of Play 101.
every Wednesday in Sound of Play, we bring you some of our and your favourite pieces from the many video game soundtracks we've enjoyed over the decades. Now, joining me, Leon Cox, in Sound of Play 101 is, for the first time in a while, it's a composer. It's the versatile and prolific Mike Rasnick. Welcome to the show, Mike. Thank you very much, Leon. It's great to be here. Uh, well, yes, I say prolific, and I have to say your your CV that's available on your website is, uh, yeah, it's enormous. It's pages and pages long. Uh, it seems like you've uh, you've seldom been short of a gig. Is that fair? Uh, fair to say, yes. I'm I'm uh, a, a, addicted to keeping busy. Uh, a little bit of a workaholic, perhaps, but uh, yeah. but I've been really lucky to uh, to stay busy, and and I'm always trying to uh, try. I don't want to wake up in the morning and not have anything to do. It's my biggest fear in life. <laughs> sure. And you've never been tied down to a studio. It's all been done. Is it all done on a freelance basis? or have you No, I, I actually think that would be quite impossible. But um, no, I was uh, about two years after I finished school many years ago, um, I got a job uh, working full time uh, with, uh, with a busy audio house that provides um, music and sound for video games. And, oh. uh, and I started out to I started out doing uh, project management and composing with them, uh, and it quickly turned into a full-time composing position. But they were, uh, yeah, I, they basically uh, worked on about like 170 games a year. So I got like literally pulled into their production schedule and had a chance to just work on tons and tons of different variety right. and and a lot of different projects, a lot of different clients, and uh, and it, it was just mad fun for for a very long time. So one of the things we like to do on Sound of Play, as well as being a purely entertainment show and uh, an illustration, uh, a manifestation of our love of video games music, is we also like to, as well as featuring established composers such as yourself, we also like to sort of give hints and tips and occasionally feature up and coming or uh, prospective composers. So uh, have you got, if you, if you had one piece of advice to somebody who was trying to start out in this industry and do what you do and write for lots of different games and lots of different developers, what, what would what would you say to them? Wow, I think the first thing I would say for me is I look back on when I was getting started. Uh, the first thing for me was getting committed to making this my number one priority because I think in life it's so easy to 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 get caught up in and in, in life in general, whether it's like getting a job or. Or, or doing something else or saying, for instance, like I'm going to be a film composer, but then mm. something else comes along and, and just agreeing to say, okay, well, I'll do that and making a decision that, you know, and, and then things get put on the back burner, especially early on when you might not be making money at it or, yeah. or um, yeah. you know, or staying busy all the time. I think the key really is to, to say, you know, I am going to sit in the studio and I'm going to, you know, do things that will, you know, will further this career and make that my number one priority and not, you know, not do other things really, whether it's like listening to video game music or playing video games or, um, or, or, or just composing and making sure you're composing every single day in the styles of video games that you love. And, you know, that, that, uh, you know, allow you to sort of, uh, show your passion for, for what you're into and then going out and just trying to meet as many people as possible, um, you know, through social networking or going to conferences or things like that. Would you say, do you think it's got easier or harder in that regard? Obviously, social networking being a very useful tool, but is is there so much competition and noise that it's difficult to kind of rise above? Uh, I think it could be. I think it's it's hard for me to say because I, 
you know, certainly at this point, I've worked on so many projects and having worked on games like Ratchet and Clank and, and some other, you know, notable um, titles, it, it does allow me to kind of rise above the noise pretty, pretty easily. So when I'm contacting people, I tend to uh, have a, a pretty good success rate in terms of people saying, oh, I, you know, I love that game that you've worked on. And, yeah. and so it, it immediately makes it a lot easier to kind of start a conversation with them about working with them. Uh, it, I think that would be more difficult if, uh, if I was just starting out. But, you know, I do know, you know, a lot of up and comers who have a lot of luck by, by, you know, just creating opportunities for themselves to show their value, even if it's, you know, on a, on a game where there might be, they'll find a game with a trailer that doesn't have music on it, or maybe the music isn't as good as they think it could be. And then they'll go ahead and maybe rescore the trailer, for instance, you know, without even contacting the developer, just to say like, look, you know, this is what I think would be great on your game to have a chance to kind of sell themselves to it. And of course it's a risk, but at the same time, you know, I think I think any opportunity to to sort of show your stuff uh, early on, and even you know, you know, even create music for your you know eventual reel and portfolio is is just you know it, it just shouldn't be uh, um, you know missed as that opportunity. Sure. Okay. So you mentioned Ratchet and Clank there, and we opened the show with a montage from uh, Ratchet and Clank into the Nexus. Uh, that's your work. Uh, that is. Uh, so, um, can you remember when you got the Ratchet and Clank gig? Were you familiar with the franchise already? Sure. Um. Absolutely. I mean, I'd always heard of it. I hadn't played any of the games, but uh, it was w- while I was working at that audio house, and I was and um and I was working alongside um, a composer named Michael Bross, and it was a uh, really his project. He had the a relationship with Insomniac, and um and brought this project in uh, for us to work on. And uh, and he ended up writing a lot of the themes and, and, and doing about half the score, but uh, it, it ended up just being a tremendous opportunity for me. Again, you know, not having, it was, you know, it was really the sort of the benefit of, of having that, that um, you know, that job where you know where, where you know projects would just come in and this happened to just be one that uh, that that he asked me to work on and and it ended up being a lot of fun as we collaborated together and and I ended up scoring probably about half the entire project. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I did, uh, you know, most of the cutscenes as well as a lot of the gameplay and and action, you know, combat music and stuff. And then also as part of the live recording session, we went to Nashville and recorded uh, uh, a number of the cues with like a fifty piece orchestra with uh, brass and strings, mm-hmm. and it was, it was just an absolute blast and one of the um, you know great highlights of of my career so far. But uh, but yeah, I thought it would be fun to, um, you know, to sort of go through all the music that I created and find little nuggets and stuff and, and create a little montage for you. So this is uh, this is really an exclusive in a sense. I just uh, oh, it was like one of those. That's brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. I just put this together a couple of days for uh, t- days ago for you guys. Thank you. Yeah, much appreciated. And uh, obviously your work was appreciated because you're back for the more recent game, the uh, the sort of, well, the, the, the plain title of Ratchet and Clank on the PS4. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a lot of fun too. Yeah, I had a chance to uh, to work on that project as well, and which was also, you know, an absolute blast. Um, it was, it's, it, you know, it was so much fun. Uh, working on these big titles and and being able to really you know a lot of the scenes they would send me uh you know like videos of video captures so i get to really see what the animation was looking like and how the uh action sort of fell together and then be able to actually compose it almost like it's you know film music and um in, in terms of uh yeah it was it was great great fun i was going to ask you that because uh, the ratchet and clank series especially the most recent one obviously there was a kind of a simultaneous movie cg movie release as well um right. so when you were composing for the cutscenes for ratchet and clank is the the animation and voices already all in place and you're composing as if to a, as if a movie score cartoon score yes 
Absolutely, very much so. Yeah, it, it really fall. And you know, when I was um, when I was studying, you know, many years ago in school, uh, um, you know, I, I I first you know was interested in becoming a film composer, and I spent a lot of time uh, you know taking like QuickTime videos and putting them inside my uh, workstation where I composed music on a computer and uh, and actually scoring you know the drama, the behind the scenes drama to you know what was going on in uh, yeah. you know in a static video format, a little bit different from you know from interactive video game music, but at the same time. Uh, you know, just perfect for what you end up doing with cutscenes and stuff, where it is really like a movie format. And so, uh, so you know, it was something that I've always loved doing, and and I, I think it was a good fit. It was, I had a really good time doing it. And as we'll hear throughout this podcast, uh, you work in a number of different genres and styles. But Ratchet and Clank strikes me as being quite an interesting one in the sense that it is, uh, it, it is you know, family friendly. It's a cartoon with these very, very much larger than life characters. But also, you're working in the genre of kind of space opera a lot of the time. Yeah, yeah. I think that's one of the things that just made it so exciting is that we could do, uh, you know, it was almost like you know, a mix of like Star Wars, but then also with these like, you know, electronic fun textures and, and then having some some cartoon comedy thrown in. Mm. So I thought it was a really, uh, you know, I mean, just looking back on it and hearing even the work that I did, you know, after a couple of years has gone by and, and, and just seeing how, you know, it, it really does stretch, you know, the pure cartoon comedy straight up to, you know, like heavy movie action and, and even like elements of horror and things like that. And, you know, with, with, with high tempos that you would normally find in, you know, in a movie score and stuff or, or you know, or a AAA game. So, uh, you know, I haven't had uh, too many opportunities to write music that diverse and have it all come together in one particular sound. That's interesting because it actually makes me think of our next composer, Michael Giacchino, who you've picked a piece from thinking about his work on The Incredibles. Uh, is that, uh, That's possibly the one he won the Oscar for? I can't remember. I'm not sure. But uh, but that sort of the meeting in, in that as well of, of this uh, cartoon superhero movie in a way, but also it's full of all these dramatic orchestra stings and brass stabs and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I think um, I, I always think about what kind of, you know, what kind of projects that I love working on. And I think, uh, you know, I have this idea that, you know, big sci-fi things are, are great. And I love, you know, working with synthesizers and all that stuff, too. But, you know, some of my favorite music is is that kind of like action, you know, modern um, animated, you know, film music really is, mm. you know, stuff out of everything from The Incredibles to How to Train Your Dragon. And, yeah. and um, you know, it, it's just, it's, it really gives you a huge opportunity to write like heavy orchestral action music that has a lot of personality with big musical themes. And, and you don't get to do that that often in a lot of, uh, in a, both film and game projects, really. So, uh, so, so it is kind of the best of both worlds in terms of, of, you know, how musical you can get and how much yeah. fun you can have, you know, creating it and really go like over the top with your, you know, with, with your emotions and, uh, you know, and, and, uh, you know, the aesthetic of, of, of that type of, um, a project is, you know, it's great. So this piece you've picked is from uh, a vintage uh, first-person shooter, really, by by now standards, Medal of Honor Frontline, the 2002 game, which was a sort of companion piece to a game we covered on our other podcast a while back, uh, Medal of Honor Allied Assault, which was the PC and Mac game. We covered that in our other podcast, Kano Rinse Issue 148, for the listeners' uh, reference. Um, but uh, the PS2, Xbox, and GameCube version was a, a sort of a slightly... Uh, it, it was a... It was a a 
conversion, but not a conversion. It was designed to be uh, more functional on uh, on console compared to PC, slightly less ambitious. But uh, one of the notable things about it was the this uh, Michael Giacchino score. Um, and I always like it when um, composers come on and pick his work because y- you could understand if there was some resentment in some cases because he's gone on to be this huge, uh, <laughs> you know, cinematic titan now. Um, and, uh, and uh, you know, his... Uh, but I guess from, from his, you know, his peers' point of view, it's uh, his career is something to aspire to. Absolutely. I, you know, I think this, this music is, is fantastic and as good as anything that I've ever heard from this period in the video game world. And it, and to me, it's no surprise that he went on to become so big in, in the film music world afterward. Um, it's, it, I, it's just well orchestrated. It's super fun. It's really, really exciting. And, uh, and I think, you know, for like, I, I don't remember what year, 2002, I mean, it mm-hmm. really stands on its own. It was recorded up in, uh, in Seattle, uh, and, and, you know, I just think, I just think the quality overall is, is fantastic. And, and, and I, one of the reasons I chose this is because as I was getting into, um, you know, thinking about video game music as sort of kind of a career option is it just the quality of it was just so good. I'm like, wow, I mean, there's really no limits of, of what you can do here. And, uh, and, you know, more recently I was watching, uh, some, some walkthrough videos of this particular game and mm. it, it is a little archaic, I guess, at this point. And then, you yeah. know, the machine gun blaster or just nonstop and really repetitive. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. again, it's 2002. We have to, we have to, um, you know, think of, of the available technology. But, but, but the music, you know, is, I just, I still think it's just a, you know, fantastic. And, and it shows, um, you know, the level of which uh, Michael Giacchino was doing, um, you know, back then. And I, and you know, I'm not sure that anyone would have expected anything so great. But there's no wonder to me that J.J. Abrams was probably playing this game and noticed it and was, yeah. was I need to work with this guy, you know. Let's hear the piece you've chosen The Shipyards of Lorient.
uh, that was of course Michael Giacchino uh, so is that uh, are you somebody who grew up playing games uh, and were were shooters your thing or did you have a, a preferred genre well I got to tell you I you know I grew up at, you know right at the beginning of the video game age and um, you know my godfather had the original Pong which was you know which was it looked like a huge synthesizer actually yeah. like a big and just for that one little game and and then that got us into the atari 2600 and i played that for years and you know i would you know i could go for like four hours you know playing asteroids and stuff and uh and then um you know and then the 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 door was sort of closed on me i i I was like can i get a say or i want to get a 5200 and you know my folks sort of you know they never really said yes or it was seriously entertained so so that was kind of the end of my video game career until i was maybe um, you know, I grew up in San Francisco, and you know, one thing that was great about growing up there is they have a really great uh, public transportation system. And yeah. back, then, you know, parents trusted uh, society society a little bit better, and so you know, they sent me out on the buses by the time I was in third grade or so. And uh, and I used to actually go to the arcade after oh, yes. school. Um, you know, since I was like you know third, fourth, fifth grade, and hang out with my friends, and we played Dig Dug and you know some of those other games, and and you know Centipede, and have a lot of fun with those Pac Man, Miss Pac Man. So, uh, so that was kind of my next foray into video games, and um, and then it was it was quite a while. You know, it, it wasn't until much later on that I got a PlayStation Two, and then after that a PlayStation Four. So, uh, so yeah, I haven't probably hadn't played as much as as I would have liked to, but uh, you know, making up for lost time, and certainly it, you know it does help um, with um, you know sort of being in the video game industry now and and working on so many games. I mean, a lot of that has you know kind of happened uh, through osmosis at this point where you know with with uh, developers I work with they'll send me builds and I just sit and play for hours and stuff or uh, mm. you know or again you know watching sometimes watching you know walkthrough videos of, of people playing is also really helpful in just you know understanding where a game is and you know and with the production schedules of writing music constantly I don't have as much time as I'd like to to, to be playing all the time. So I just try to always have, you know, my eyes and what's going on, what things are looking like, how they feel. And, you know, and then of course, you know, I do play on my free time. I've played hours and hours of Uncharted and some other projects as well. Um, and, and, and it's, you know, it, it's always fun. And, yeah, uh, we spoke to a friend, of, a friend of the show. I can call him now. It's Kenny Young, composer for uh, Little Big Planet and Tear Away. Yeah. And uh, we had him back on our 100th uh, Sound of Play to talk about uh, Doom. Uh, and he said that he uh, he's been uh, known. He, he's he's somebody who finds horror games too scary to play, but he'll he'll uh, he'll play them for research purposes. So uh, yeah, yes, exactly. You kind of have to put yourself in the, in a different sort of position, you know, to to really get into it and see what's going on and pay it and, and it's also especially useful when you're playing because you really do get to experience and and listen for the you know the especially the music and sound cues and how things work interactively mm-hmm. i think that is harder to get that when you're um, when you're just watching walkthroughs when you're actually playing a build you can start to to, to discover those relationships or try things out not just the way you'd be playing the game but to sort of be paying attention in terms of like you know a, a, an r&d perspective of like oh what do they do or what if i go over here how's that gonna change the the experience or, or how things are getting triggered that kind of thing so that that's uh, that's curious actually i'm interested this next piece uh, of yours that you've brought for us is uh, from a uh, as yet to be released a virtual reality uh, uh, project called away is that right and um 
so I'm curious as to how one goes about. Um, are you com- are you composing this from design documents or early builds, or do you have a VR setup that you compose <laughs> while wearing? That's what I'd I like do to hope think. to get a VR setup soon. It, unfortunately, that that's going to require like you know buying a whole new like powerful computer and then yeah. getting the proper <laughs> headset and the whole thing. So that that is the plan. Especially, um, I think as I we're gonna we're gonna do more on this project, but I'll talk a little bit about away away. Mm-hmm. Is, is based on a nature documentary where you're actually playing as an animal in different uh, in different episodes. So it's going to be a multi-episode uh, developed game. And uh, and this first one, you're playing as a bearded vulture, um, just up, you know, starting out in like you know these high cliffs and these yeah. desolate mountains with no people around, you know, just in the middle of nowhere. Um, you know, with other birds and really, you know, it's, it's, uh, of course, you know, it's since it's virtual reality and you're playing it on the vibe. So, so you can actually stand up playing this and, and you can sort of move around your space a little bit. It's not, you know, completely, um, you know, um, you know, a seated, you know, um, experience, but anyway, yeah, it's, it's really, really exciting because you're up there and you get to experience flying, uh, with one of the first steps that you take is, is off this cliff and into the air Mm -hmm. And and you're sort of you know loosely chasing another bird, so you can't get too far away from it. So it's kind of a linear experience, but you can fly left and right, up and down, go faster or slower. Um, and then and then there's this whole survival part of of the portion of the game as well, where you're sort of flying through the trees and and, and escaping kind of like a pending doom. But but there's you know there's kind of like a you know a voiceover performance that you know sounds like what you would experience in you know BBC's Planet Earth too. And and you know the idea of the music really was to create really like an immersive experience around what it would be like to you know to be flying. And so it was really creating that emotion. Uh, so for this particular game, you know when I met the developers i went to their studio and i did have a chance to uh to put the headset on and experience what it's like you know to be in nature first as like a little mouse looking up at a, at a giant deer and you know in a forest environment and it's just it's so incredible because you imagine this you know what this like right you know you hear a lot of people talk about you know sleeping and having flying dreams and you know what it would yeah. it be like flying and you really get that in this i mean much closer than anything else i could imagine i remember the first time i was kind of jumping off that cliff and going to the air and, and you know my knees didn't really know what to do they would just kind of wanted to drop to the ground and like okay um but uh but um so but yeah what they sent me eventually uh, when i started working on the game was you know also a series of walkthrough videos so it was again like kind of scoring a movie and but it, it was great though because first of all i think it would be really hard to make music inside virtual reality because yeah. you can't see what you're doing for you know except you know except flying really but uh but you know having the video up i was able to see what the tempo felt like what the music felt like and uh, and and then I could um, you know I could sort of you know create that um, from there and you know get that approved and stuff. We go back and forth, and it's just a good a good medium for us to uh, to um, you know to 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 kind of you know rework the sound or you know work the sound of what we were looking to do. And then from there, yes, then it was a matter of um, of taking the music and integrating it into the game. Uh, and then making it work, you know, this was much more of an experience where it was like, you know, since it's a linear experience, you don't know how long it's going to last. So it was, mm-hmm. it was having the music be able to work in a way that it could sort of act like an accordion or it could get longer or get shorter and still work, you know, along with the drama of what was going on with, uh, you know, with, with the um, interactive gameplay. Oh, beautiful. Okay. So listeners, imagine you are, what was it? A bearded vulture? A bearded vulture, yeah. Okay. Uh, imagine that from a first person perspective and, uh, and listen to this over cliffs and valleys.
So that's by our guest, Mike Rasnick, over Cliffs and Valleys from the forthcoming virtual reality project to Vive and presumably potentially other uh, virtual reality kits, if uh, if all goes well. That's called Away. Uh, and who? what's the name of the developer working on that? Uh, they're called Breaking Walls. They're based in Montreal, Canada. Okay. Have you you've been up to there? Have you been up to visit them there? Yeah, um, I actually have an agent up in the area. They have, uh, you know, there's so many video game studios and there's so much video game development going on. And it's such an incredible place to visit. Uh, um, I've been up there the last two years. And, and, you know, besides, you know, having a lot of meetings and, you know, hanging out with, you know, the, the amazing community that's up there, uh, the video game development community. Um, it's just it's just always a, a really great experience to go there. But I happened to uh, meet these guys last year when I was up there. And, um, and you know, we were able to you know, I was in town long enough to set up a meeting with them and get to know them a little bit and, you know, start this relationship of working with them. And, and this is just the, I, you know, the first um, experience is going to come out in August 16th, I believe on steam, but, uh, but there, we're already developing the next one, which is going to be um, with, with another smaller animal It's soon to be released. And, uh, and, um, and, and we'll be, it'll be, it'd be more like a 30 minute experience with a lot more music. And well, I, I think the plan is to record that with a full orchestra and that should be a lot of fun. Wonderful. Yeah. And uh, your next pick for us, this is one of several beautiful pieces that you selected from uh, from all the, the world's video game music. Uh, it's another earthy and spiritual piece. And this is from uh, a game that uh, that we've said a lot of good things about on Cane and Rinse. This is uh, from Ori and the Blind Forest. And the piece is the spirit tree. So what uh, what led you to pick this one for us? You know, this was uh, this is just one of my uh, just favorite video game scores. I just think it's fantastic. I had a chance to meet Gareth Coker earlier this year, and and I've actually worked with um, Aralee Brighton, the vocalist, who oh, just right. does a fantastic uh, job on this, and and she is she is wonderful. But um, you know, I was uh, the last couple of years I've been uh, on the voting member, one of the voting members for uh, for music, uh, the music awards for the Gang Awards, the Game yeah. Audio. Field. And, uh, and and it just, you know, just listening through like everything was getting created a couple of years ago in that particular, you know, uh, a year. I, it was just, you know, Ori and the Blind Forest, which, which I was just a huge fan of. And, and you know, I just like the, um, I just think it's so emotional. And, and the whole, it, it, you know, just also the, if you, you know, playing the music through the game, uh, you know, the music just tells a story constantly. It's always like, you know, in a storytelling mode with with melodies. And, it, you know, it's just wonderfully crafted, I think. Uh, and I think the production of it is really fantastic uh, with the use of uh, live strings and the, and the vocals or the piano and, and a lot of the, the tinkering that is kind of going on in the background. It's, I just think it's pretty masterful in general. But, uh, but uh, you know, the, the amount of emotion that you kind of get from, you know, even, you know, some of these shorter music cues is, I think it's just hard to beat out there in terms of, uh, you know, the, the style of, you know, the style of music it is for that game.
So that was The Spirit Tree by Gareth Coker, featuring the vocals of Airely Brighton uh, from Ori, Ori and the Blind Forest, of course, by Moon Studios. And uh, we covered that on our Dissection and Discussion video games podcast, Kana Rince, uh, issue 228. Uh, and we talked about the definitive edition as well, of course, which has made things perhaps slightly easier uh, for a game that was uh, a beautiful and frustrating in equal measure at first, but has, uh, has perhaps had some of its sharper corners softened with that uh, director's cut. So uh, well done, Moon Studios. Can't wait to see what they're doing next. Uh, next up, we have another piece from our guest, Mike. Uh, and this also features a guest vocalist. Uh, perhaps Mike will tell us about Laura. Uh, and this is from a game that I guess our listeners may not be uber familiar with. This is from the Virtual Family series. This is from Virtual Families 3, Our Country Home, which isn't even out yet. Uh, last mm-hmm. day of work. Are working on it now. But this is a series that exists on um, computers and handheld devices. Um, this piece is absolutely gorgeous. So um, I, th- I think it's it's often the case that because there are certain genres and styles of game that our kind of very enthusiast, hardcore demographic will tend to I- interact with and maybe miss out on some of these stuff. We're, we're sometimes not hearing, you know, some of these amazing compositions that are being done for games that we might not think of as having, you know, spectacularly, um, you know, beautiful really worthwhile soundtracks so uh thanks for bringing it to our attention and and what inspired this this lovely piece for virtual families three well thanks leon um this piece this has turned into one of my favorite pieces that i've written and 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 i think that uh you know the company that i worked with last day of work um uh, my friend arthur runs it and uh, you know, I've worked on a number of his games over the years. And when we started working together, just the two of us, uh, you know, he is such, I think it, it, it really attests to the collaborative spirit of, of, you know, of how developers and composers can work together. Um, because this guy loves music, you know, he's really passionate about it. And it's, and for me, I think that's one of the things that has, it allows me to, to really be in my most, you know, creative and productive uh, places, you know, when I'm working on a soundtrack, um, you know, he had some, it's, it's a casual game, uh, and and it's it, I mean it's very it's it's very you know it's a I don't know how to explain it exactly but but you know he had an emotion that he's going after for his project you know the, the game is basically it's it's a mobile casual game where you're you know running you start you know, in this house with this person and then eventually you can upgrade and you get you know you get a, a mate and then you have a you know, and then you have children and that kind of thing. And then you can upgrade how that, you know, you can upgrade your home and in your community and that kind of thing. Um, but, but, you know, he had all this whole back storyline, which I love, you know, he's telling me, well, there's, you know, there's something like, you know, I, I guess I can't give away too much about it, but, but there, there is an emotional backdrop to it. And, and he started, you know, pulling, you know, reference music for what he was looking for, but at the same time, it had to have, you know, a, a, you know, a feeling that would work in a casual game. So this particular piece, uh, you know, believe it or not, you know, once you guys listen to it, it, it you know, he he's sent me the music from um, the movie Interstellar, uh, you know, with, with, you know, that Hans Zimmer wrote this amazing score and it's huge and, and epic and has organs and stuff. But, but we, I took that and, and I made it into something that, you know, could be grasped in a, in a sort of a, you know, in, in a casual aesthetic, um, by doing something much smaller with it, but also making it as epic as possible. And I think what turned it into what it ended up being is something more like a lullaby. Mm. Uh, 
And, you know, I hired my friend uh, Laura Intravia, who's a, who's a wonderful vocalist, who's done tons and tons of work in the video game industry, and and, and she you know tours with video games live and and that sort of thing. And 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 she also brought something special. And that's another example where you don't always know what you're going to get and why it's so fun also to just collaborate with wonderful musicians because you know she brought this the soft voice to it. And it wasn't what I was expecting because you know of course I was sitting with my. Uh, you know, sitting with my um, my computer, you know, and I have my, my vocal samples. But you know, when when I asked her to do something, and at first, you know, she sent it back to me. She's over in New York. I'm here in Los Angeles. Uh, you know, I'm like, wow, what is this? But then I put it against the music, and I'm like, wow, it brings something different to this whole experience. Uh, so so there was that. Um, we recorded live guitars and live cello and violin, and you know, again, just with a couple of instruments. You know, with with three or four live musicians and. You know, sounds from the computer. Uh, this piece just—it kind of came alive and turned into something uh, really special to me. Um, so, so yeah, I'm so I'm excited to to share it and feature it here. Uh, the game should be released soon. We actually did the score about two years ago, and the developer wow. gave me permission at one point to say, "Oh, go ahead and share it. You know, put it out there, yes. and we even feature this piece on his, uh, you know, on his Facebook page. And you know, it's gotten a lot of listens, and and people seem to really, you know, dig it over on my SoundCloud and stuff. So. Um, so, 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 yeah, so I'm happy to share it here.
So that was Sleeping with the Stars, not a reference to a casting couch, I trust. Well, there may be an innuendo in there. Uh, that's by our guest, Mike Rasnick, with a vocal by uh, Laura Intravia uh, from the forthcoming Virtual Families 3, Our Country Home. And uh, yeah, very nice piece indeed. I, I see on, on the SoundCloud uh, link that you sent us, there's a lot of very uh, kind words being said on that particular piece underneath. So that must be gratifying. Of course, always. <laughs> yeah. Uh, another female vocal uh, in this next piece. Uh, I'm not sure it's credited this one, but uh, the theme uh, is certainly by uh, Enon Zur. I was, I'm never sure it's Enon or Einon. Ein, Enon. 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 Uh, yeah, from the amazing uh, Dragon Age Origins, uh, which we covered back on Kane and Rince issue 149, along with its uh, expansion awakening remember that things things have perhaps not gone so well for the dragon age franchise since then but uh, but i can totally understand mike why you brought this amazing theme tune to our attention once again yeah absolutely i mean this is just another example of of music that uh you know that that uh, got me really excited about writing video game music um right just i you know i just think that uh the, the work that enon's done on on these games um, you know, it just it, it also showcases just a really high level of emotion that can be, uh, you know, created to kind of like add that, you know, that really the human feeling or something that's just greater than life, you know, um, and, and, you know, in, in a video game soundtrack and, and really uh, into a video game overall. Yeah, it's really powerful stuff. Uh, we're, uh, I mean, you were talking about very much uh, after my own heart. You were playing in the arcades there in the uh, with the the classic coin ops of the uh, the early eighties. But was was there a, was there a sort of game that you remember really uh, capturing your Dungeons and Dragons sort of uh, heart? You know, is there something uh, an RPG or is there any fantasy stuff? Maybe it was Gauntlet at the arcades or something like that that sent you down the uh, the Dungeons and Dragons type of route. No, you know, I don't know, actually, then maybe probably not so much. I, I kind of remember like eating a lot of candy and, and just playing, the, <laughs> <laughs> you know, play, just seeing how far I could get. Dig Dug keeps coming back as the one yeah, that I yeah. really love for some it's reason. Great tune. And it, yeah, it, I can't remember exactly what, you know, what it was about, about the overall experience. But, uh, you know, it's, it's pretty simple in that direction. I, you know, I don't know. I think that. Um, you know, a lot of this, a lot of like video game and, and, and movie music and, uh, you know, it was, it was always, you know, it, it wasn't for me, it wasn't about, you know, like one of those stories where I was six years old and I saw Star Wars and said, I'm going to be a composer. I, you know, I, I, think I never really was, was sure what, what, you know, what music or, or what even the validity of music and, and media was, you know, I think I, I became a huge Beatles fan, uh, when I was nine years old and that's literally like my brother and I, that's all we listened to for about five years. I mean, the, the two of us were, you know, on this mission to collect every single, you know, Beatles record that existed. And, and, and I think, and, and for a long time, you know, I was just, I just wanted to be in a band. I wanted to play, you know, music like the Beatles and the who, and later the grateful dead and, and yeah. other bands like that. And then I played in bands for a long time. Uh, I even played in an Irish folk band and, you know, toured, you know, parts of the world with them. Uh, and, and it, and it wasn't until much later that it all kind of came together for me almost as like the silent thing where, you know, where, where I, I'd kind of moved from, from, uh, I, I moved into computers where, you know, I, I was doing music and then I 
suddenly decided for some reason that I had to get a real job. So I went out and <laughs> so I worked in uh, you know the startup industry in San Francisco during the dot com boom and 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 for four years you know was uh, you know just getting all this experience you know from computer programming to uh, you know doing client, customer support with Fortune five hundred companies and building websites and it was really mm -hmm. fun for a while. I really enjoyed the um, you know the problem solving aspect of it and the technology aspect of it. And then I've, and then I started to burn out on it and was like, there's got to be a way to to take you know my love of music and combine it with all of this computer knowledge and the stuff that I love about technology. And I think that was really the beginning of, of what started to um, you know lead me you know towards you know video games and and it was really um, you know it started with like you know realizing that you know movie music and and how I can create soundtracks and you know again it wasn't the kind of thing where I, you know like a John Williams thing where I would you know create music on you know paper and you know I could do that I had you know a huge you know background in music you know since I was young but. But I love the technology aspect of it. I love the idea of like being able to to connect different computers together and and have a movie screen and be able to write music and then bounce stuff out and have this thing exist. And and you know, video games just kind of took that to the next level of actually being able to take sound and start integrating it through technology and and you know, going from one application to another application, then end up in another application and be able to you know define how parameters can work together and. Uh, and you know, and I so I think it was really it kind of happened um, you know, sort of organically uh, that way. So you know, maybe I had a little bit of a different um, you know a, a, a different pathway towards video games. But uh, but yeah, I mean, I think the technology as much as the the creative and, and the music stuff is really what drove me towards video game development. So when you were in bands, what instrument or instruments were you playing? Sure. Yeah, I I played. Um, I I think guitar was really my main instrument. Uh, I grew up, you know, started on piano and I sang with the San Francisco Boys Chorus when I was really young and, cool. and with them we sang for for uh, the queen of england and um and i sang in the on the opera stage and symphonies and that kind of stuff uh for from it for probably a good three or four years i mean we did that we rehearsed twice a week we went to summer camp and learned you know theory and music training and um you know all sorts of things like that um and uh, I did a lot of concerts during, you know, the, the holiday season. Um, and uh, and then, you know, I kind of went on and played clarinet for a couple of years and saxophone for a couple of years. But I really found my first uh, my first love, you know, personal love in, in guitar and and, uh, you know, studied classical and, and later jazz and, um, you know, played in rock bands and reggae bands and all kinds of stuff like that. And, you know, I think that's kind of also, uh, you know, where I started to become sort of eclectic in my thinking about music is that I. I would get bored, you know, I wasn't one of those guys that could play jazz for eight hours and, and yeah. aspire to be the great jazz player or something. I, you know, I, I would get bored easily. So I would, I like to be able to do a lot of different stuff. So I'd find myself kind of immersing myself for short periods of time in one style and then jumping over to another style and, and really, you know, kind of embracing, you know, all forms of music. I, at one point I got really into African music and saw tons of like African music concerts and studied, you know, African drumming and, you know, things like that. And, you know, so then it was, that was another really neat thing about kind of jumping into, you know, music for media is that, you know, you have these clients who are like, just have the wildest ideas about what they're looking for. And, and, you know, I think it's great trying to, you know, say, well, okay, well, we can take an element from this and, and throw in a little bit of that. And it's, you know, it's kind of like cooking, I guess, but, uh, you know, just you're working with ingredients and, and it's all sort of there for you to play with. Fantastic. Yes. Your eclecticism makes a lot of sense, uh, knowing that you've got that sort of, uh, that uh, propensity to veer off on different musical tangents and things like that. Uh, we'll come back and we'll talk a bit about Spate, but uh, for now we'll hear from Enon and uh, Dragon Age Origins.
that was Mike's uh, pick from Enon Zur, Dragon Age Origins. Main theme, of course, uh, takes me right back. And getting on for, yeah, it's like eight or nine years ago since I played that now. Eight <laughs> years, I guess. Yeah. So, uh, so it, yeah, it gets to that point where it's, uh, it's powerfully nostalgic as well as, as well as beautiful in its own right. So, yeah, great pick. Um, uh, this next one I'm not familiar with. It's from a game that perhaps doesn't uh, or hasn't had a massive amount of, uh, of talk, uh, perhaps hasn't found a huge audience, but uh, but I've been looking into it and I'm really curious. Uh, so it's a game called Spate by Eric Proven, who uh, is a former uh, Disney and Henson uh, artist. Is that right? Yeah, well, he still works at Disney. Um, oh, he's he still does, there? Okay. Yeah, he works on all their films and stuff. He worked on Frozen. I don't know what he's up to at the moment, but he's always got something exciting. And he, he actually yeah. uh, brought in myself and my kids for a tour over at the Disney Animation Studios. And, oh, and it was cool. just amazing to see what they were working on and how they were doing it. And at the time, he had just finished working on Big Hero 6 and and was actually developing, you know, the overall, um, you know, rooms where these scenes were taking place. And, and uh, you know, it's pretty it, it's pretty amazing. But to say the least, he's he's an absolutely incredible artist. And and I found his game on, um, on Kickstarter many years ago, and I was just blown away by how amazing it looked and how dark it was. And it, it just had everything that... Uh, that I ever, you know, imagined wanting out of, you know, out of a, a collaboration and a game. And I, I think I sent him like three very long and detailed emails uh, before he ever even replied back to me. But, but needless to say, you know, he told me that I was probably the 90th composer that had contacted and contacted him. But, but yet, you know, I would seem to be more passionate than anyone else. So, so, so luckily he hired me and we just had a blast working on this. Um, uh, the game is really interesting. It's about a um, it's about a detective that's kind of lost his way, and he's also lost his wife and 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 all the people from this island where they lived have disappeared, including his daughter. and 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 because of that, he's sort of broken and he's drunken, and he's also addicted to drinking absinthe. Um, it kind of takes place around the turn of the century, eighteen late eighteen hundreds, early nineteen hundreds, and and so absinthe was his drug of choice. And yeah. but in the game, we actually made a game mechanic out of it where. Uh, where the um, where you could take swigs of absinthe and the, everything would become very psychedelic and weird and you could jump yes. higher but you'd have a higher chance of dying at the same time. So so it, you know the the whole musical score became about you know creating um, you know creating a feeling of this person who's who is who's you know who's kind of just gone down a very dark and psychedelic path and mm-hmm. I could just get kind of as weird as I wanted to but also you know show uh, a little bit of hope but you know a lot of darkness and. Uh, and 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 um and you know we and we spent a lot of time listening to music uh and getting into the project initially and decided to sort of feature a string quintet and part of it a live orchestra and part of it and you know and also I had a chance to uh collaborate with a wonderful cello player by the name of Martin Tillman who is also a frequent um on Zimmer collaborator he's the cello sound that you hear on um Pirates of the Caribbean and also the electric cello player that made up the um the in the dark night movie with the joker uh that that really crazy sound designy sound that was him on on uh, electric cello so we featured both of those instruments in a very different way on the score and um and i was really excited how it came out and um it got a lot of attention at the time but the uh but this but the game itself was um probably a little bit under the radar in general mm-hmm. it didn't get the the best reviews but the people who loved it really loved it the people who didn't like it um you know that they, they didn't like it and uh and it seemed to be a big hit in Russia and Italy, among other places. While other places, uh, you know, other um, 
um, demographics weren't or, or, or geographics, you know, didn't didn't quite um, fare so well. But but one thing that was interesting about the project, and I only got this years later when I was talking to some other developers, was that you know one of the influences of this was the you know the Russian Chernobyl disaster and this you know going to this place where um, there was a lot of radioactivity and things like that. So. So I remember sort of discovering that and then reading a book about the Chernobyl disaster in Russia. And then and then it sort of dawned on me, I was like, this is actually really similar to Spate. And I contacted Eric and I was like, hey, did that sort of come into play? And he, was that on purpose? And he was like, and then he said, yeah, he's like one of the two or three influences that he got for sort of creating the storyline around this game was uh, – was from that particular incident. So, uh, so yeah, I found that fascinating. It does seem like a very interesting thing. Yeah, I feel bad that I didn't know so much about it, but mm-hmm. uh, I must investigate. Oh, about oh, this particular piece, a choice, uh, do you remember at what point in the game? Basically, the, um, at the very end of the game, uh, he, the, our, our protagonist um, you know, has, has a run-in with the bad guy, and then he sort of has a choice at the very end to, uh, to either give up the bottle or um, or jump off this cliff and send to the end of his demise, something like that. And uh, and and we originally scored this piece of music as he was uh, sort of falling. You know, it, um, I, I don't remember exactly what the context was, but anyway, it it, it changed and and the music. Um, the, the music then became this this ending scene, which was much more beautiful and emotional, and it was kind of like this afterlife that he ended up having that was you know much more on a positive note. But uh, but I, I think it worked in both senses. I think there was a there was a sense of, of hope in it, really, you know, which was really nice. Um, but we recorded this particular piece with a uh, with a live uh, string quintet in a studio, all playing together. And uh, um, I probably did about seventeen versions of uh, of this piece. I think the I think Eric liked it like all along, but I I just got so into it that I felt like I could just keep making it better. And so I so I got there, and then I had different composers that I know who I respect listen to it and give feedback on it, and and eventually we took it and recorded it, and um and uh, and yeah, I'm I'm just happy to present it here for you guys.
So that was A Choice, A Choice by Mike Rasnick from the game Spate. Check it out. It's still available on Steam. Came out about three years ago now. Uh, interesting subject matter. Uh, dark mm-hmm. and curious. Yeah, by a, a talented Disney artist, no less. Uh, it's interesting there you saying about getting the, the live strings in. Uh, I, I'm, I, I still feel like I can tell most of the time when it's real strings or synthesized strings. One of our uh, regular guests, a friend of the show, is Ruben Cornell, who, like you, has done a lot of composition for television. Um, he's worked on things like America's Next Top Model and stuff like that. And I notice on your CV you've done stuff, uh, you know, Duck Dynasty and things like that. So yeah, uh, that's that kind of TV work is obviously great for uh, for composers um and uh and he's one of his jobs is also to uh put together sound libraries he also reviews sound libraries for for composers and stuff like that um and he you know he he knows better than i and he says now that there there's it's indistinguishable between uh synthesized strings and the real thing but i i still want to believe that there's a reason why you got five string players together uh, to play that. I think it's not interesting. I, I think it's very, I think it depends on the type of project, but I'll be yeah. honest. I like to record live strings as much as possible. And I think that depending on the type of music and what the function is, it can be indistinguishable. And, mm. you know, I've done a lot of, I've done some library music for TV and stuff in the past. And sometimes with those types of cues, you know, you're doing a lot of short, fast strings, you know, stuff that chugs along and, and that yeah. does get more difficult to tell. Um, uh, you know, one thing that I will say is is I think working with soloists is really important. I think having you know a live violinist playing like a, an interesting and comp- perhaps complex or just you know melody, mm-hmm. um, I think it, it makes a huge difference having you know live strings. Uh, you know, I think I can attest to that through my use of doing that on the Spade track and on the Virtual Families track and um, you know and some other things. I think also, for instance, on the Away track over Cliffs and Valleys that I played. What we did there was we worked with a 40-piece live orchestra just to do the long strings because it was so lush and beautiful. And the way that the, the orchestra builds coming up to a note and then contracts and gets quieter and then builds and that kind of thing, I think that's really hard to get just right with live strings without spending a lot of time with it. Um, it's, it while, while on that same track for the short strings, I left it you know, using the, the sounds from the libraries and the you know, in the computer and stuff. So, so I think it, it varies. Uh, of course it comes down to budget and then, and sometimes, you know, if you spend a lot of time, you know, programming and really getting things right, you know, you can make it much more difficult to distinguish. And then through orchestration, like doubling instruments, say if you have like flutes, doubling the the violins and, and then adding the right amount of reverb and mixing things really closely, you know, it can start to become more indistinguishable. Uh, I think, you know, and I think it depends who's listening. I mean, I think a lot of people wouldn't notice. Um, I'm always trying to notice. Sometimes I can't. No- I, there are examples where people yeah. do such a good job that I'm like, yeah. wow, like I I don't even know. Definitely. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, but but I think especially with with a, maybe a string quartet, I think that's really hard to, to make it sound just right. I think there's a few instruments that, you know, that samples have not caught up to because they're just so emotional the way you start quiet and can get so loud or, or, you know, or just the inflections of changing between notes or, or not making things too repetitive or, you know, certain yeah. things like that where, you know, or I, I still like any day of the week, 
I will, you know, I can call up a violinist or a cello player and hire them for a hundred bucks and, and just be so happy with what they were able to bring to the table. And, and I think saying that also, the other thing that's important to, to sort of mention about this is that working with really good musicians is also you know, important because, you know, you can hire, you know, someone who's maybe professional, but not great, you know, and they're going to give you a performance that maybe, you know, isn't that much better necessarily from an emotional perspective, you know, front with, uh, you know, with, with samples. But if you bring someone who's really awesome, like he was really great, who's like a, you know, a top level player, um, you know, they're going to bring something really special that you're just not going to get, um, from, from samples and, and stuff that really, you know, brings things over the top. It is, so I, I oftentimes, you know, look for collaborators who, who are really at the top of their game, and and it's you know it's it's worth um, you know paying them extra or doing whatever it takes to get them in the studio and 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 really give their all. Um, I, you know, there's it, it just I don't it just it, it's hard to describe since it's music, of course, but it, it feels it, it feels really good, really yeah, good. I'm definitely with you on that. I saw something that blew me away recently. I don't know if you're familiar with the movie Under the Skin and the soundtrack to that uh, sure. by Mika Levy. It's a really uh, it's a really unusual uh, piece. She's primarily a cello player, I think. Um, but what's surprising is uh, when I, I, I was already very familiar with the soundtrack and the movie, um, but I was lucky enough to see a live uh, performance of the score by her and uh, an orchestra over the film kind of thing. And it was amazing just how... Uh, how closely it was recreated despite the lack of you know looping and sampling and all that sort of thing but also the fact that it did still sound it sounded the same but ever so slightly different and the other thing that was uh, cool about it was that every time i see string players whether it's with a, a rock band or like a lot of bands who use strings and things like that there's always so many young young cello and violin players now like they it's still clearly not going anywhere the pe- people you know, wanting to grow up and play, play strings well. So they're yeah. not dying out the string players. Absolutely. No, I think it's, uh, I, I think, uh, you know, much to do with uh, video games and, and film and TV. And I, you know, I think that has really very much kept alive the, um, you know, the, 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 the world of orchestral music and even the way that you go on YouTube and you see these, you know, violinists or cello players who are playing their favorite cover version of, of yeah. the, it's a big video game and it's getting like, you know, 500,000 views or a million views. I mean, you know, people love it. You know, it, it, there's, I mean, there's, there is a, it, things have changed, but at the same time, you know, it's, it, it stayed current, you know, with the, you know, with, with the way culture is right now. It's, and, and it's, it's wonderful. I'm, I couldn't be happier about that. Cause I think people want, especially in the digital world, I mean, people want to feel emotion and, and I think that's really, you know, the best way that humanity has figured out how to really connect, you know, people. Yeah. I think it's through music. And so I'm glad that, that there's just as much of that and, and more in a sense, you know, and it's, and, you know, and the quality of things are still just, you know, amazing. Some respects getting better. I don't know. There's so much sharing yeah. of knowledge now that's, that's just that, you know, people can just have access to, to stuff in a way that, that they didn't before on a global level. So true. And, uh, Never a greater example, as far as I'm concerned, of that uh, sh- sort of summing up and, and gathering emotion than this next piece that you've picked for us. Uh, this is an absolute stunner, as far as I'm concerned. Um, no instruments whatsoever, just uh, just just voices, I believe, uh, on the light we cast. So um, when do you remember when you first heard this? Was it in context of the game or did you hear it outside of the game? 
I also heard this outside of the game. I was really familiar with Jessica Curry um, because of uh, you know of, of her work on um, on Dear Esther. Uh, also, yeah. when we, and actually this ties in a little bit also with the, uh, with Spate because um, you know it was one of the things about the game Spate that was you know that uh, Eric was going for as a developer. It was really his first game that he was developing, but he was thinking about you know what he wanted to do, what was influencing the gameplay mechanics and that kind of thing, and he wanted to because of his art style, I think, and and the way that he was really tra- trying to create, you know, get emotional feeling through the game, um, he wanted to have sections of the game where you were literally just running, and you were just going through, you know, with the music going and with the art kind of shifting and changing in the background, and and maybe experiencing, you know, the craziness of this guy's mind of what he might be experiencing, you know, going through this 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 time in his life or this, you know, this downward spiral, so to speak. Uh, and 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 he said he was influenced highly by Dear Esther, and it's actually one of the things that some people enjoyed about the game, while other people didn't. And which I think was similar to how people also perceived Dear Esther, where it's this game where you're just kind of walking around, you know, experiencing yeah. poetry and music, but there's not really any gameplay going on. And people start to say, "Well, is this a game, or is this boring, or is it actually really amazing?" And you know, and and, and people seem to to get very polarized in their opinions about it. They felt one way or another. So so it, in Spate, we had some sections where there was like six minutes of not a whole lot going on. You're just kind of running to the right. And But mm-hmm. but if you could kind of allow yourself to get immersed what was going on, you know, with the art music and, and the feeling of it all, then, you know, I think then it became a big success. So uh, so anyway, so I was familiar with Jessica Curry and, and, and also, again, sort of, you know, being on the voting committee and listening to, you know, what people were submitting that year, I was, you know, I, I just, you know, she, she just did such an incredible job of all around on this particular score of, of the vocals and the choral pieces. And also again, you know, the string pieces that she wrote, she really just nailed it with, you know, her string quartets and that kind of thing. But, uh, but I just, you know, I, I, I've been thinking a lot more about what really affects people and especially in video game music and, and and how I I've started to really um, you know see the impact of adding live voices and I think again just I, I think it's even more so than just orchestral music I think vocal music uh, allows people to connect um, to to emotion and you know even maybe more strongly than anything maybe perhaps it's where music you know really began with you know rock sticks and and and, and the sounds of our voices really. Um, so, so I just, uh, I know it's, it's maybe a little more simple than something, some other choices that I could have gone with, but, but on just a, a purely like raw visceral level, it just really, um, it really affected me. And, uh, and yeah, I thought it would it'd just be, you know, something wonderful to, um, to kind of uh, showcase here.
So that was the amazing The Light We Cast by the, I am told by all accounts, very lovely Jessica Curry. Uh, she recently had a series of shows on video game music on Classic FM over here. Uh, hopefully that will be uh, whatever they do, uh, taken up for another series uh, or possibly even just have it on all the time. That would be ideal if uh, if Classic FM just incorporated video games music into its uh, into its regular playlist. That would be, that would be the dream. Uh, but we've come a long way already uh, and certainly Jessica hasn't done that cause any harm whatsoever so uh, that's from of course everybody's gone to the rapture which we covered on the Cane and Rinse podcast issue 251 the first of 2017 we're now halfway through that year terrifyingly enough uh, <laughs> listeners remember do please venture over to the forum at canerince.com slash forum or twitter at canerince uh, use the hashtag sound of play if you want we also have a facebook page naturally you can request your favorites and when we don't have a composer such as mike here on we'll continue to include a selection of your requests uh, in our regular sound of play podcasts which will continue to come out on a wednesday uh, please subscribe leave us a review if you can or a rating on itunes or wherever else you get your podcast from and if you enjoy what we do you can support us via our t-shirts and bags you can buy those at spreadshirt.co.uk slash or we have a patreon you can donate a minimum of a dollar a month patreon.com slash and it all gets plowed back into us doing what we do now before we hear about your last track mike uh is there anything that you would like to point our listeners towards particularly at this time of yours your you can be your social media it can be something you want people to hear or check out anything you like the floor is yours sure thank you um i think uh i, I would say go check out my website i have a, a, a some blogs and some interviews and and an article i wrote about working in virtual reality um, it's Mike Rasnick, M-I-K-E-R-A-Z-N-I-C-K.com. Um, and uh, SoundCloud uh, also, which is sort of linked in from that particular website, but also Mike Rasnick, uh, my Twitter, at Mike Rasnick. And, um, and yeah, we'll see where I, where I end up also in, in the dark corners of the Internet universe. Superb. I also want to thank our editor, Jay, of course, and to Jordan Von Netzer for hooking us up for this interview, uh, as he's done a few times now, including some of our other composers, uh, such as Michael Levine, who I wanted to mention because uh, Michael Levine, I know, is known as something of a virtuoso violinist. Uh-huh. Uh, and I read that you're descended from a virtuoso violinist, uh, supposedly one of the greatest violinists of the 20th century. Is that yes. right? I never had a chance to meet him, unfortunately. But, no, but uh, but my mom's side of the family uh, is um, has 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 a a, uh, a lot of musical talent, and um, and the story has always gone that uh, that he's he's a distant cousin. I don't know how close, but but definitely uh, definitely of the same bloodline. <laughs> this is Jasha Heifetz, a yes. Russian That's- violinist. Absolutely, and he was really one of the greatest. And uh, and some of the violinists that I've worked with, um, I mean, they really saw him as as you know the their role model or you know, the one that that they they really loved his style and and wanted to play like him. Fantastic, but you're not a violinist yourself, hence no, getting- no. I went in a different direction. I guess my brother played violin. I started on piano, and uh, I guess mm. I you know for a long time I've I focused on lead guitar. Um, so that was that was really where you know I kind of learned about the inflections of uh, of emotional and and exciting um, you know soloistic stuff, but I, I never reached uh, any sort of virtuosic level. <laughs> yeah. 
Oh, well, there's plenty of time left, I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> keep practicing. Yeah, thank you. But uh, for this final piece that we're going to close the show with, uh, from Despair, the theme, uh, you roped in a violinist to play for you, Paul Cartwright. Mm-hmm. And actually, Paul is a, a, a really, really wonderful violinist uh, here in Los Angeles. He also actually um, uh, loves Yasha Heifetz. He said that growing up, that's he had a picture of him on his wall, and and mm-hmm. and, and and that was like you know sort of his big influence. Um, uh, but um, but yeah, this this game was for a, a sci-fi survival game that actually didn't end up seeing the light of day. But they uh, but it was right before release that the game sort of uh, you know um, I, I I guess it uh, got canceled unfortunately. But we did finish <laughs> the soundtrack. We finished mixing it and recording it and doing the whole thing and and uh, and I maintained the the rights to to ownership. So uh, so it's still out there. Um, I'm really proud of it. Uh, and and this particular. Um, game was uh, about an engineer who sort of crash lands on this um, like alien planetoid um, uh, orb <laughs> out out in outer space, and uh, and he sort of is a um, you know a, a technological engineer, but but everything is kind of like broken, so he has to learn to um, to survive in this uh, desolate planet and with a much more sort of tribal kind of vibe. But anyway, we dealt with themes of despair and hope uh we had you know because since that's kind of what he was going through like was he never going to make it off this planet or was is you know could he be hopeful and maybe you know figure out how to work with his you know broken um spaceship and actually build something where he could escape so so we spent a lot of time working on some some themes uh and this was the despair theme probably version three or four but uh but eventually i came up with something and i felt like it was you know, really authentic and original, and and I wanted to keep it kind of simple. So we just literally recorded it with um, you know, with with the violin, and then a little bit of electric violin in the background, and and then some you know a few other electronic sounds. But uh, but but I'm you know I'm really proud of uh, how it came out, and um, yeah, excited to play it. Well, thank you very much. Thank you very much for joining us, Mike. It's been a pleasure to talk to you, learn about your career. Well, thank you so much for having me. This has absolutely been a pleasure, all mine here. Oh, no worries. And uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll close the show with the theme from Despair. Enjoy. Enjoy. 